Welcome to AgTech Innovators, keeping you up to date with information from Agriculture Victoria. Sometimes the adage with startups is build it and they will come. This, though, is not always the case, as failure rates can be high. However, if you approach it as an experiment, in the scientific sense of testing a hypothesis, then you won't fail because you're always learning. G'day, I'm Drew Radford, and that's the perspective of Paul Votier from Ambit Robotics. He's taken a very scientific approach to building his startup, and to discuss it, he joins us for this AgTech Innovators podcast. Paul, thanks for your time. No worries. Paul, you work in a fascinating space, but you've done a few detours to get there because I understand you're an engineer slash international developer by trade. Yeah, that's right. I started out um, working in agriculture in Southeast Asia, doing work with aid programs, international development programs, but then pivoting into working with commercial businesses as well. That's quite a long way from actually developing your own robotics. So why that leap? Well, I guess I wanted to step outside of consultancy and really build something that would scale and and have an impact. And I'd been an engineer, as you said before, by training and really wanted to take those skills and build something that farmers could use. And some of that work, I understand, started in Southeast Asia. You saw a problem there that you were trying to solve. Yeah, that's right. We did what the textbooks will tell you to do as a startup founder. We went around to farms and spoke to growers about what their problems were and really tried to tap into those issues. And then we started building minimum viable products. So we had robots out in India spraying potatoes. We had robots in Indonesia being trialled while simultaneously we had robots here in Australia. And we really did all the things you meant to do, put those minimum viable products out onto farms, demonstrated them and and got feedback from growers. And it took us quite a lot of different directions, trying different types of robots, trying different market segments and trying to find a problem where we could generate that magic market fit and build something that would scale. And that was around spraying, wasn't it? Yeah, initially we started with crop spraying, but then we discovered that we had growers coming to us and talking to us about imaging. So we had, for example, a celery grower here in Victoria who wanted to understand where on his farm there were areas of poor nutrition. We had a tomato grower coming to us and saying they wanted to understand what their yields would look like in a week's time or a month's time. We had potato growers coming to us and wanting to understand what was happening in terms of pests and diseases within their crop. And at the same time, you had this whole sort of trend happening around generative AI. So you had growers coming and saying, we really want to understand what's happening to our plants. And at the same time, you've got this generative AI emerging where you can feed in enormous amounts of data into these models And they really allow us to look around corners. They allow us to predict the future in ways that we've never been able to do because you can feed so much historical data into these models that they really come to understand what the plant's doing in a really nuanced way. So to us, it was the intersection of of what we were hearing from growers and what was happening in the technology space opened up an opportunity we thought looked really interesting. Well, in terms of that opportunity and seeing into the future, if you go to your website, there's quite a remarkable robot there that is scanning tomatoes. And what is that? What's it doing? 
Yeah, so as I said, we borrowed from this idea of generative AI. So we're all used to generative AI when it comes to text. So what a model like ChatGPT is doing is it's collecting millions of sentences, typically from sources like Wikipedia, and it's predicting what the next word in a sentence is going to be. So it's trained on massive amounts of data. We think about plants in exactly the same way. So to us, a tomato growing on a, on a vine represents historic information. So we can image hundreds of thousands of tomatoes over months and months, and they start to follow patterns in the same way as language does. Those tomatoes, what they were doing yesterday is highly predictive of what they're going to do tomorrow. And that allows us to collect images of lots of tomatoes, build models that map how that plant's growing and what it's doing, and that allows us to predict what's going to happen next. How are growers applying that? I've got a vague idea, but just to elaborate. Yeah, there's really two things that growers are looking for when they're wanting to predict what's going to happen with a plant. They're wanting to optimise their operation. So if they know what the plant's going to be doing over the next week, they might change how they water, they might change the number of pickers that they employ that week, they might order more or less trucks to come in and collect produce. So there's a whole lot of operational decisions that happen around understanding what that plant's going to do in the next week. But really, when you're talking about the bottom line in their business, it's about price. So a grower that knows what their plant's going to do over the next week or two weeks or month is able to enter into contract negotiations with buyers um, in confidence, knowing exactly what their plants are doing, and that allows them to get better prices. So at the end of the day, we help growers make better operational decisions and we help them secure better prices. Those operational decisions would be important as well in terms of actually minimising or controlling your costs. Yeah, that's right. If you're making all your decisions at the last minute, that's when things get expensive. But if you know what's going to be happening over the next time period, then you can minimise those costs and, and make smarter decisions. Paul, at the start of the conversation, you mentioned the work that you were doing in India, Southeast Asia, generally with some of your early robotics and in Australia, and you're saying we followed what all the textbooks tell us. How did you go in that particular phase in terms of fundraising, and even now? It's a two-part journey, isn't it, with investors? I think investors do want to see founders who are willing to run experiments, put out MVPs and have conversations with customers but you can't get stuck there forever. <laughs> Investors will tolerate that at a pre-seed stage. But if you want to move on and do, say, a Series A round, you really need to be able to identify a customer and a solution and show a scale-up pathway. So I think that experimentation phase for us was really important. And I think there were pre-seed investors that were willing to fund that and saw in us the skills and the aptitude to really run those experiments and find market fit. But eventually, you know, we matured away from that and we had to, to finding a, a customer base and a solution that, that could be scaled. I really appreciate the way you describe that because I'm sitting at the outside and I'm going, well, hang on, you started off with a product over here and now you've got this product over there. It's almost been a case of, well, yeah, we've got the skills, but we've been prepared to learn from, that's not the fit, that's not working, let's develop something that is. They talk about people being prepared to fail. You haven't failed but you've certainly reinvigorated and reorientated. Yeah, that's right. And I think if you set out as an experiment, you design as an, as an experiment when you start, then it's never a failure. You're always learning. If you build something expecting it to work and you say to growers, 
here it is, do you want one? I think that is failure because you're not listening to growers and you're not building things they need. So, you know, I'm really clear with the team here when we're building an experiment, why we're doing it, why we're running a trial with a grower and what sort of feedback we would take to be convinced that there's actually a market here that's scalable on the other side. And, you know, we ran enough experiments that we believe we have found a market that's a really good early stage market for us. Paul, before we started recording, you were talking about the comparison of startups between the consumer market and the ag tech startup market. To me, it was it was a very good analysis because I think in the general population's head, well, you start up, you go out and you have a go, but dealing with ag tech and primary producers is a different space. It is different. I mean, I think VC has become synonymous with software and the development of, of software business models that can scale really quickly. And in a way, that's what VCs have got used to. In agritech, those sort of really fast growth software solutions are pretty unlikely. They're very few and far between. I think in agri-tech, I think we're probably on safer ground when we talk about sort of science-based solutions. So if we look at the history of agriculture, you've got these really big waves of invention. So you've got the invention of nitrogen-based fertilizers, which transform the industry, genetically modified crops, hybridized seeds. These science-based discoveries are, are really scalable and really impactful. And VC does have a history of investing in science-based discoveries that can really have an impact on industries. So I think if we sort of take our mindset away from the sort of high growth consumer software space, which is where a lot of VC money has been really successfully placed and really anchor our thinking in the science-based discoveries that have delivered really good returns to VCs in the drug industry and other industries and have really transformed agriculture in the past. I think there's really fertile ground for investment in agri-tech. It's a really interesting perspective because a lot of people I've spoken to in this space have got great ideas, but I haven't always got the sense that they've been putting the science first and foremost and breaking it down as a, as a problem via that route. Yeah, I think it's a good approach because I think if you can build a unique technology that you've got some intellectual property, either a secret or a patent over, that really becomes attractive to investors because you've got some monopoly, some control over their technology, and then you've got an investable business model. And that's what I hope Ambit's doing. I hope we're building this model of imaging plants and generating models of what the plant's going to do, we hope that that's a scientific discovery of importance to the industry that we have some control over and therefore we become investable. And that's really important because that's what allows us to scale. You really need a technology that's somewhat protected so that you can capture investment around it and and take it to the industry and really scale it. And Paul, where are you in that journey now? Yeah, we're at an interesting turning point where we've really finished that experimental stage. We're really confident in our technology now in terms of the tomato industry. So we've segmented out an early stage industry for us that's really prospective. So for tomato growers, predicting what plants will do is absolutely critical to pricing their product and contracting their future supplies. So We're really clear that that's where we want to start, but it's not where we want to stop. We really want to build generative AI models that are able to model all sorts of different plants. And focusing on tomatoes, does working in a 
semi-controlled environment like a greenhouse make these experiments easier, more manageable? Absolutely. Our robots are autonomous. They wake up each night and go out and image the crop. That's really important because we want to image the crop every 24 hours so we can get a really good sense of what's happening to that plant. And as the self-driving car industry has discovered, building something autonomous is, is really challenging. Autonomy is great in some 90 to 95 percent of the cases, but occasionally it does go wrong. And for us, uh, the controlled environment inside a tomato greenhouse is just ideal to prove up our technology. All the rows are really straight, everything's really flat, and that's just ideal for us in terms of an environment to gather the data that we need to build the models. So, Paul, based on your own experience, what advice would you give to other ag tech startups that are seeking investment? I've alluded to it already, but I think my recommendation would be to sort of break the opportunity down. I think you really need to be situated within a really big opportunity. That's what investors are looking for. They're looking for a market that's worth hundreds of millions, if not a billion dollars. And for us, modelling plant behaviour is that size of market. It's applicable across a whole range of different crops and applicable to a whole lot of different problem statements around pest and disease and around yield estimation. So we've situated ourselves within a really large market. The other really important thing about that opportunity is it's got to feel almost inevitable. And I think that's why we're really excited about generative AI in crop modelling, because in 10 years' time, I just can't imagine a grower going out onto a farm and counting crops by hand. It was just, AI is just so good at modelling behaviour. It's so good at counting accurately and predicting based on behalf behaviour that to do this by hand in 10 years' time just seems completely unfathomable. I just can't imagine anybody doing it. So there's a certain inevitability about that really big opportunity. But I think the other piece of advice is to try and find a smaller opportunity within that that's near term. And for us, that's been tomatoes. And it's been tomatoes, as you said before, because of the consistency of the farms, and that really helps us with automation. But it's also a really important short-term opportunity because it's such a pressing problem for the growers. The growers of tomatoes are really interested in yield estimation because it dictates price. And like any business, they want to control price and they want to maximise price. So, yeah, I think it's about situating yourself within a really big opportunity, but then finding something smaller that can help you generate revenue and also show that you can find customers, get them on board, and that you can build a viable business within that bigger opportunity. I think it's particularly important in agritech to have both those really bigger and smaller visions for the business. And that really helps communicate to investors where you're going to end up, but also where you're going to set out from. And I think both of those have been really important to us in talking to our investors. Paul, I've been musing while listening to you that you were talking there about, you know, basically setting out your boundaries and parameters and what you're aiming to achieve. Is that reflected in your name, Ambit Robotics? Yeah, it is. We we did um, want this idea of, of fully covering a farm and being able to see uh, across a full site. And that was, yeah, that was where the name Ambit came from. And lastly, Paul, where do you see your ag tech startup, Ambit Robotics, being in the next five, 10 years? Yeah, I think we need to get customers on board with our tomato solution. And I think we've got a, an excellent prospect of doing that now i think the results that we're getting from the model are good and every day our models get better 
But in terms of where we want to be in five years, we really want to generate models that are plant agnostic or crop agnostic, where we can monitor a crop over, say, a week or a month or a year and really build an understanding of what that plant's going to do next. And that could become a very general model that's able to work with lots of different plants. And that that really excites us, the idea that we could build something that you could put onto a farm and then within weeks start generating insights that reflect the growing conditions on that farm and what those plants are doing. And just the plethora of different things we could do around yield estimation, disease monitoring, and helping farmers with operational decisions and, and pricing. There's so many different ways we could go and and we really don't want to get distracted by all the different things we could do. We want to focus on that near-term market and build something out first, but um, always holding that potential for the scale of what we could do and and the, the impact that we could have across multiple industries, keeping that in mind, but also being focused on, on what's realistic now. Well, Paul, I've been left with a very clear impression that you have a laser-like focus on the near future and, importantly, the potential beyond that through scalability. All the best with your journey. For now, though, Paul Votier from Ambit Robotics, thank you so much for taking the time and joining us for this AgTech Innovators podcast. No worries. Thanks for your time. Thank you for listening to AgTech Innovators. For more episodes in this series, find us and follow us wherever you get your podcasts. We'd love to hear your feedback, so please leave a comment or rating and share this series with your friends and family. All information is accurate at the time of release. Contact Agriculture Victoria or your consultant before making any changes on farm. This podcast was developed by Agriculture Victoria authorised by the Victorian Government, Melbourne.